morning, church. Hi. So um, I'm Tori, and I'm married to Glyn, for anyone who doesn't know me. And this is the first time that I've actually preached. So I'm really hoping that you will all be very kind to me and that you will also help me out. So there's going to be a bit of audience participation. Um, so nothing quiet here, guys. You're going to have to really work hard. Is that okay? You bring it on. Brilliant. Thank you, Chris. So does anybody know who this is? Oh, oh Jar Jar Binks. Who said that? Tom. Jar Jar Binks. What, can you do an impression of Jar Jar Binks? Mr. Ah, well done. Okay, so Jar Jar Binks says, Misa Jar Jar. Can I hear you all saying that? Okay, so I'm going to be telling you a story in a minute, and I was going to divide you up into sections and get each section to do something, but I'm going to get you all to do everything because I think there's less people than I thought. So one of the responses is Misa Jar Jar, okay? So let's try it again. Misa Jaja. So every time I say the word jars, you have to say Misa Jaja. Okay? So the next response that I need from you is when I say the word wedding and you need to hum, here comes the bride. Do you think you can do that? <laughs> All right, another go. <laughs> Just the first few bars. Brilliant. And I hope at home you're joining in with this as well, because it will be a bit boring if you're not. Okay, so the next response, we need a bit of a reggae theme, okay? Does that, did anyone listen to UB40? Anybody yeah. like UB40? Yeah. Do you remember the song Red, Red Wine? Can anyone sing the first few words? Red, red wine? Red, red wine. Yeah, okay. So, Wow, Ali, brilliant. Okay, can you lead us in red, red wine? Come on then. Yep. Red, red wine. That's brilliant. So whenever I say wine, you need to do that. Okay? Can you manage it? Okay, the last one is a bit of a hard one, and maybe some of the older people here will be able to help me. Does anybody remember the song, Yes, We Have No Bananas? Can anyone sing, yes, we have banana, no bananas, but instead of bananas, sing, yes, we have no Chardonnay? <laughs> Do you think you manage that? Yeah. Yes, we have no Chardonnay. All right? Has everyone got that? <laughs> the rest of the song. We only want the first bit. So we're going to go through those four responses. And I, um, so the... The Chardonnay, yes, we have no Chardonnay, is whenever I mention servants, okay? So let's have a quick practice. Okay, jars. Brilliant. Wedding. Wine. Servants. Brilliant. You guys are great. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm going to read you a little story. Jesus... His mother Mary and his disciples were invited to a wedding. Brilliant. Everyone had a wonderful time and then they ran out of wine. So Jesus, so Jesus' mother took Jesus to one side. They've run out of wine. She said, is there anything you can do? Mother, said Jesus. Why are you getting me involved? It's not time for me to do this kind of thing yet. But Mary took no notice. 
and went to speak to the servants. Yes, we have no Chardonnay. Well done. See that fellow standing over there? She said, that's my boy. Do whatever he tells you. Nearby, there were six large stone jars. They were used for ceremonial washing and held between 20 and 30 gallons of water each. So Jesus said to the servants, Take those jars and fill them up with water. The servants did as they were told and they filled the jars um, with, to the brim. Now draw some out, said Jesus, and take it to the man in charge of the wedding. So that's what they did. And when the man tasted it, the water had turned into wine. Immediately, the man in charge of the wedding (laughs) went to the bridegroom. This is amazing, he said. Most people serve the cheap stuff at the end of the feast when everyone is too drunk to notice, but you've saved the best for last. And that is how Jesus performed his first miracle and showed his glory to his disciples. He turned the water into wine at a wedding with the help of a few servants and six huge stone jars. Brilliant. You deserve a round of applause. Well done, everyone. So today I'm going to be talking about God's lavish hospitality to us. Um, And when I read Jesus's miracles, I'm often struck just how strange they are and how they're not what you might expect. This was his first miracle. And it seems strange that the first time that he does something miraculous, it was to make it so that a party could get exceedingly drunk. We'd quite like that miracle here, wouldn't we? With our baked potatoes after today. But as I thought more about this, I think it's here because it's a glimpse of God's lavish and extraordinary hospitality to us. In a way, it was totally unreasonable and extravagant to turn all that water into the very best wine. There was not only... This was not only... Sorry, excuse me. This was not the only time that Jesus went over the top with his provision... After the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark, there were seven baskets of food left over. And in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, there were 12 baskets of food left over. And although there are many other things you can bring out from these miracles, I believe that it's all pointing towards God's ultimate hospitality to us in adopting us as his children and co-heirs with Jesus through his death on the cross. Earlier, we had Isaiah 55 read to us, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. These verses were written when Israel was in exile because they turned away from God, yet he shows how much he loves them in this call to them to return to him. He's not reluctant, but he's full of joy and passion for his people. He wants to meet all their needs. He's freely giving to his people. Just a couple of chapters earlier, in Isaiah 53, it's prophesied about the suffering servant, Jesus, who'd pay the ultimate price to invite us into a restored relationship with God. 
Jesus himself repeated the Isaiah 55 invitation while in the temple. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And that's from John 7, verses 37 to 38. The living water that he's talking about is the Holy Spirit that can change and transform each of us to be more like him. I believe that Jesus dying for us on the cross was the ultimate act of hospitality so that we would no longer be strangers but members of God's household. Now, hospitality is actually rooted in the Old Testament. It was something that was central to the life of the Israelites and it was a command. In Leviticus 19, 33 to 34, it says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And the reason that the Israelites needed to show hospitality was God. I am the Lord your God. This was the God that had brought them out of slavery and provided for their every need while wandering through the desert. God wanted the Israelites to be like him and mirror his values. His hospitality was not because the Israelites deserved it, but because he wanted a people for himself to glorify his name. I believe that hospitality is actually a duty. And it's not just in the Old Testament that we are told to practice hospitality. Romans 12, 13 says, Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. And literally, in, um, in the original language, it says pursue hospitality. And the verb implies continuous action. It's not just a, a one-time thing. So the command in Romans 12, 13 is that it shouldn't be just once a year, like at Christmas or family celebrations, but a constant attitude and a practice. 1 Peter 4, 8 to 9 says, Above all, hold unfailing your love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. And I I love that. I love that love um, covers a multitude of sins, and we need it, don't we? But practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. And that's the bit that I struggle with a little bit. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes um, I'm tired and perhaps been out to work and I've got family commitments and then perhaps my in-laws come to stay and they have a very different outlook on life than me and I can get stressed and and even though I may have invited them I can get a little bit resentful um, about the extra work and the disturbance to our routine that works quite well. Does anyone struggle with this? Yeah I'm glad it's not just me. And that reminds me of a story about the young couple who invited their aged pastor for Sunday dinner. While they were in in the kitchen preparing the meal, the minister asked their son what they were having. Goat, said the little boy. Goat, replied the startled pastor. Are you sure about that? Yes, said the little boy. On the drive back from church, I heard mum say to dad, remember, we're having the old goat for dinner. (laughs) But seriously... Hebrews 13 verses 1 to 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby 
some have entertained angel unawares. Now, I have to be really careful because when I was practicing this, I said entertained angels underwear, and I didn't want to be talking about any angels underwear. So entertained angels unawares. This put together with the passage from Romans shows that hospitality should be continuous, but implies that it's something that we can easily neglect. Um, Dr. Krish Kandaya, who started an organisation called Home for Good that um, some of you will have heard me talk about before, um, it promotes adoption and fostering within the church. But he also founded Sanctuary that was instrumental in getting the Homes for Ukraine scheme started. And he often says that it is the time that the church began to practice radical hospitality, such as inviting children and refugees to live in our homes. And I think that's quite a challenge to us um, in this day and age. So it's not just all hard work. There are blessings from practicing hospitality. I think that it's really interesting that one of the tools that has been most effective in leading people to Jesus over the last few decades is the Alpha course. And what is central to this course is sharing a meal together. There's something about eating together that builds relationship. It breaks down barriers and makes people feel accepted. The Dutch theologian Henry Nouwen said that this kind of hospitality was not about changing people, but creating a space where people were able to change. Now, um, I spent part of my childhood living with my grandparents. My granddad was a Church of England vicar, and we lived in this amazing Georgian rectory in Norfolk, which was a great place to grow up, many adventures in the woods and things that, that we had. We had quite a bit of land with it. But my memories, my strongest memories, were of, as, of many people staying with my grandparents and them constantly welcoming guests. These guests could be a real mixture from bishops um, to Dudley, who was known as the local tramp and lived in an old railway carriage. And I remember cycling with my granddad to go and visit Dudley in his railway carriage. But my granny was just as comfortable with Dudley sitting at the kitchen table while she baked bread as producing Christmas dinner for 30 people or entertaining the sort of the, the Church of England bigwigs. In retirement, they hosted a string of African students and came alongside and provided for a family of Vietnamese refugees um, and their children I was actually at school with as well. And they became part of our extended family for, for a season. And I look back and know um, what a rich upbringing I had being part of this and with all these different people coming into my life and our lives. So anyway, when I met Glyn um, and got married, um, I introduced him to my grandparents and he was one of the people that was able to experience their amazing hospitality. And we decided um, that we'd be like, like to be like them and have an open home. At times, we've been more successful than others. So I've got my daughter Ella here, and she'll remember some of the many people that came to stay and also some of the challenges of having all these people um, in the house with us. Anyway, when we lived in Cambodia, we had a holiday in Thailand, and Ella, I don't know if you remember this, the three medical students. No, she's shaking her head. Ella was really little at the time. 
So we met three medical students, British medical students. We really, we didn't know them from Adam. Um, but we started chatting with them and said, oh, well, if you make it to Cambodia, you'll have to come and stay with us. And sometimes we'd go away and say, what have we done? We don't know who these people are. We don't, you know, what they, what they will be like. Anyway, they came to Cambodia and they came to stay with us. Um, it turns out that two of them were Christians and one wasn't. So the two girls were Christian and the lad wasn't. They came to stay for a few days and then actually um, the, one of the girls and the lad approached us and said, our friend is actually not very well. She's just had glandular fever and she needs to rest. Can she just stay with you for a bit longer? So I, I can't remember exactly how long Becca stayed, but she stayed for about a month with us and, and she was a real blessing to us as well and helped with homeschooling the kids. Um, the, the non-Christian lad was called Ed, and I can remember long conversations with him about faith and adoption and doing what we were doing. And often these uh, conversations were over big puzzles. We used to have thousand-piece puzzles up the whole time, and sometimes we were doing them in candlelight because we had no electricity. But big, long chats, and then they went away, and we thought nothing more about it. But years later, I got an email from him saying that he'd had a dream about us and he'd rung Becca up and this chokes me up because they had been praying for us. And I went, oh, and I'm praying for us, um, but, but you're not a Christian. And he then explained that the time visiting us was instrumental in his conversion and that he was even considering working as a doctor on the mission field and adopting. Um, yeah. So, and unfortunately, we've lost contact again. Um, so I don't know whether he's gone on to do those things. But Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. In the Old Testament, Abraham hosted three strangers. They turned out to be God himself and prophesy that Sarah, who is too old to have children, will have a child within a year. As I mentioned at the start, I think some of the stories in the Bible are just strange and off the wall, and this is one of them. What would have happened if Abraham hadn't invited those strangers in? Where would we be now? From all this, we can see that practising hospitality... In practicing hospitality, we'll not only be blessing others, but who knows, we might be starting a new adventure with God ourselves. So I guess, what does that mean for us here at Dorchester Community Church now? The first thing I want to ask everybody here is, have you accepted God's hospitality to you? It's free to all through what Jesus did for us on the cross and in a few moments, we'll be celebrating this through sharing communion. If you've not done this already, maybe now's the time to accept this hospitality. Or perhaps you might want to talk to somebody, perhaps one of the leadership, about this. So I'm not under any illusions that everyone can adopt, foster, host refugees, and some may not be able to invite people into their homes for meals. But hospitality is much more than this. It's a practice and an attitude. I think of my granny listening to old Dudley as she cooked. There were so many lonely people around us. 
Perhaps hospitality that you can show is sitting with someone and listening, or phoning someone up. Perhaps inviting someone on a dog walk, or helping clear up after the church event. Again, Henry Nowen said that listening to someone could perhaps be the greatest form of hospitality. One of the things that really spoke to us and and spoke to each of the the people coming into membership today was the welcome that that this church is able to give. And that itself is hospitality, that welcoming and the feeling of becoming part of a family. I'd love for everyone here to spend some time asking the Lord to help them step out in hospitality. And not worry if it's something that the world might see as only a small thing or if it's something that's worryingly large. Through the Holy Spirit, God will equip each of us and every act is as important as another. And now I'd just like to lead us in a a time of short prayer. First, I'm going to pray a prayer accepting God's hospitality to us. Then I'm going to leave a pause and ask if anyone has asked God into their life for the first time that they just look up and catch my eye. Then I will lead us in another prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your hospitality to me that by sending your son to die on the cross for me, for my sins, you enabled me to come into a restored relationship with you. I choose to accept your hospitality and ask you to come into my life now. Lord God of hospitality, I ask you to give give me your heart for those around me. Lead me and show me how to show your love through hospitality. Please take me on an adventure with you. Amen.